Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 350th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year from the, the middle of the bush in Victoria, Australia. It is freezing cold. We've got big open fires here, but we've got um, kangaroos at the back. It is really, if it wasn't so cold, it'd be fantastic, but it's cold. It's also, I might add, six o'clock in the morning here, but uh, that's all right. This is uh, the 350th show. It's quite a milestone, and it's one that we're proud of. It's a lot of hours on the air and a hell of a lot more hours in preparation. So I'm really pleased to be still with you. So let's have a chat about surplus humans, which will just about be all of us if robotics and AI have their way. Uh, Carl Fogel, who's a partner at Open Tech Strategies, uh, described the employee victims of advances in automation as surplus humans. It's a term that uh, can describe, I guess, the, the once secure middle-class professions, including jobs in the automotive industry, nursing, tax preparation, office administration, law, and a whole heap of others. And there are many reasons for rising insecurity among the group. Um, you know, the cost of daycare, cost of rent, mortgages, student debt, health care. They're, they're also concerned about being put out of work by robots and AI. And while some people insist that robotization will produce new jobs to offset these losses, I think they're crazy. I think um, robots are going to take the jobs and there's not going to be too many jobs created because robots will just turn around and make themselves. They don't need, they don't need us. So women are the robots' prime targets. According to a study published this year from World Economic Forum, 57% of the U.S. jobs that technology will replace in the next few years will be held by women. They're also more likely than men to lose their jobs in the long term as well, and they're also going to be less likely to find new jobs. So women, I'd get a health club membership, join up, because <laughs> that's probably going to be a lot. But if you work in advertising, public relations, broadcasting, law, financial services, you should be concerned because there aren't going to be any jobs. And if you work as a secretary or an assistant, you're also going to lose your job. Now, people, A lot of people think, oh, well, it's only the miners and truck drivers that are going to lose jobs. But if you do office work, you're gone. If you're a cashier, you're gone. If you're a waiter, <laughs> you're gone. And if you don't have high higher education, you're probably going to lose your job. So the American Trucking Association warns that driverless vehicles will take three and a half million truck drivers off the road in the United States. So it's a pretty grim view. So even being in a growth profession doesn't ensure that your job's protected. Take nursing. We need more nurses. We always need more nurses, don't we? And uh, nevertheless, the National Science Foundation spending millions of dollars to research a future of robotic nurses who will lift patients, bring them medicine, and do all the things that are normally done around 
the hospital wards. And hospitals are now starting to use algorithms to run their hospital floors. So what can we do about it? Well, not much, really. Um, I guess we need to be heard. We need to be part of unions that get heard. And uh, we also need to probably point out to everybody that, that every job lost is a, a human problem and families that get hurt. And there are lots of consequences that we're probably not going to like. So at the end of the day, the truth is that robots will prevail. Many vacations are going to become obsolete. And the big money will be making robots until they turn around and start making themselves. Then we're all in deep shit. I know what we can do about it. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've got about 1.7, 1.8 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds. And we talk about a new thing every day from medicine to new apps to technology to Hyperloop to autonomous cars to blockchain. So um, you should get it. If you want to keep abreast of what's happening in the world, get the newsletter. Totally free, 100% absolutely free. We don't sell our lists to anybody. So if you're on the list, so go on to bobpritchard.com and subscribe and then if you wish to unsubscribe you'd be stupid if you did but you know if you wanted to unsubscribe you just click on the unsubscribe on the newsletter and bingo you're gone so um, it's really that easy <clears throat> and a lot of people these days who are planning ICOs that's initial coin offerings they seem to be popping up all over the place and the first place to start with a white paper and there are several necessary components to a successful token sale or an ICO. But for the most part, they follow the same basic rules. So it's often easier to point out what an ICO does wrong than what they do right. For example, you know, most, most of the projects fail to describe why the readers should even care about the fact that there's an ICO. So when you're writing anything that's intended to be persuasive, you need to talk about who are you? Put in an introduction. Why are you doing this? And who are your team? Team's critically important. Then talk about what you're creating. Talk about the solution that you're providing. And talk about the tokenomics. It's really important. Talk about why the person that's reading this should care. You know, somebody picks it up and they start reading your white paper. If they don't give a rat's ass what you're talking about, they're not going to read any further. So you need to make them feel like they want to be part of the solution. And then the last point is how are you going to deliver what you've promised them? You need, you know, paint a roadmap so that people can see where it's going. So most, most people do pretty well talking about themselves and saying who their team is. But make sure the team is um, are people that are relevant. You know, it's no use having your next door neighbour or your cousin or your great grandfather. Make sure that the people that um, are in your team are actually people that have experience in that field. So, and we also most people put the team section near the end, but you really should put it up near the front because, and particularly if you've got a slide deck, put the uh, team up the front so people look at it and go wow that's very impressive you know i like these people they've done it before they're probably going to succeed then they're much more likely to read the rest of it 
make sure you explain your greater vision, why you're doing it. You know, you're, you're running this ICO so you can feed all the people in Africa or something, but make it something that's realistic and reasonable. Then do you need, think about the tokenomics of it. Do you need a token or a coin? There's a big difference. Instead of creating your own coin and going through all that hassle, have you thought about using Bitcoin or Ethereum as a base? makes a big difference. So much simpler. So how are you going to deliver what you've promised? That's, that's a primary one. So explain where your team can execute on the milestones you've outlined. If you're building a marketplace, has anyone on the development team built a marketplace before? If you're in a B2B project, do members of the team have relationships they can rely on to generate leads? Often they don't. The killer ICOs and token sales of 2018, they're going to be the um, companies that have found a way to utilise blockchain technology to fix something that you can't fix any other way but with blockchain. So you really got to understand what blockchain's about to create solutions that really need to use the technology. So when you're planning your ICO, as many, many people are, make sure that it is persuasive. Make sure that people read it and want to belong and want to give and want to be part of it and make sure that you've got a team that can actually do it. Now, today we've got another great interview for entrepreneurs. My guest today is Matthew Gallagher. He's an entrepreneur with a history in computer engineering and digital advertising. He's got an idea that I thought would have died, but it's actually gone gangbusters and it's brilliant. He's the founder and CEO of Watch Gang, and he oversees the day-to-day business operations of the world's top monthly watch club. So he's got 18,000 subscribers and 1.8 million in monthly recurring revenue. You pay a subscription every month and get a watch. Pretty good. He gives away Rolexes and Tag Howes and good deal. I'll be back with Matthew after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're being broadcast across the world this week from freezing Victoria, Australia. And uh, in a minute, I'll talk about some other things we've been exposed to in this week. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and to the segment of the show where we interview entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who think differently, think outside the box, solve problems and have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all overcome the challenges that every entrepreneur faces. Yeah, the failure rate of new projects is about 95%, so we need to learn all we can from those that have gone before us and have been successful. So in this segment, we, we set out to try and find what it is that make these successful people tick and what it is that they have done that has guaranteed their success. Matthew Gallagher is a Los Angeles-based entrepreneur with a history in computer engineering and digital advertising. As the founder and CEO of Watch Gang, Matthew oversees the day-to-day business operations of the world's top monthly watch club, leading the business to over 18,000 subscribers and 1.8 million in monthly recurring revenue. That's not bad. I think he's doing pretty well, this boy. Beyond his business expertise, Matthew is passionate about helping others and is a committed philanthropist. He resides in Studio City, not very far from where I live, with his family. You know, one of the one of the important things I think about um, being a successful entrepreneur, and probably the most important thing about being a successful entrepreneur, is giving back. Either giving back to the community or giving back in the form of mentoring up-and-comers. I think that's really, really important. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard in 63 countries around the world. Hey, Bob. How's it going? It's going great. I'm um, currently in Sydney, Australia, um, heading back tomorrow to LA, and uh, looking forward to it. Cool. Now, I found... Watch Gang to be a totally unique idea, and, and when I saw it on first glance, I thought, how the hell can somebody make a buck out of selling people watches every month? Um, <laughs> I've got three watches, and I, I don't use any of them because they're all sort of ornate and impossible to tell the time, so I use my phone like everybody else, but um, they look pretty. <laughs> now, now watch, watch Club's described as the world's best watch of the month club firstly how many of them is there and could you just sort of explain to us the idea behind the watch gang yeah absolutely so i like to think of us as the the world's best watch club overall subscription watches um there's not a whole lot of competition in the space but um i look at it as a as a way to really um get people interested that maybe wouldn't otherwise be uh, too interested in wristwatches yeah. and, uh, and sort of cultivate that interest through a subscription service. And then we offer a lot of other uh, kind of value added services to the members. Um, but yeah, it kind of started out just uh, as an idea um, there. Uh, you know, there are the watch community and the watch market is, is pretty big. Um, it's hundreds of years old. Uh, obviously wristwatches have been around for a long time, sure. um, but you know, sort of the obstacle, I think, was uh, seeing how many people really want to get a watch every month. And uh, we're still finding that out right now. But so, uh, it, so, yeah, are, so are there people out there that sort of buy a watch every month and they've got cupboards full of watches? Yeah, we we actually so we just crossed over a year in business. And uh, I mean, we have members that 
have seven different memberships with us because they want to get seven watches every month. Okay. They're either, <laughs> they're either obsessive about time or they got a lot of friends or, yeah. or, or too much it time on their way. hands. <laughs> um, <fun>. <laughs> so what, where did this come from? Did you sort of wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, aha, the light came on. Watches. I'll sell everybody a watch every month. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, oh. You know, I think normally, you know, when businesses start, you know, it's uh, to solve a problem of some sort. And uh, honestly, I didn't even know the problem that I was solving until a few months into running uh, Watch Gang. Um, I just knew that it was working. I didn't know why yet, but uh, I, I mean, I can speak to that now. Um, but <clears throat> basically, my uh, my dad passed away last year and he left me a watch and that's really all he had. Right. And that was something that kind of, you know, sat with me for a long time. And, um, it's, you know, it's the one thing that I really treasure that I, you know, that I have that was close to my father sure. and I started thinking about it and how watches really, you know, I think since phones became more prominent, you know, watches are worn less. Um, but there are some younger watch companies kind of ushering in, uh, younger people into, into buying watches again and getting interested in it. And, and basically my idea was, um, how can I sort of get people a new watch and take away the, the sort of overwhelming, um, process that goes along with that a lot. There are so many watches that you can buy. Um, a lot of people that are, you know, sort of interested, they get overwhelmed and they just don't buy anything. And so I, I sort of just take that, take that away, uh, for them. I take the fear away and it's at a good price where, we guarantee it's worth more than they're paying. So it's not really risky. Um, and I think what really set us apart was that, um, I started giving away Rolex every month when we started. And that was sort of to, that was kind of like the nod to my old man. Um, I wanted to give something to people that they could pass down through their, you know, generations. And, uh, and that sort of turned into a weekly thing now. So we give away Rolex every Friday. (laughs) I might, I might have to join. So what's (laughs) it? What's the pr- uh, range of prices of these watches you offer every month? Uh, we we have four memberships that are thirty dollars a month, a hundred dollars a month, uh, three hundred, and then a thousand dollars. And uh, depending on the style that you're looking for, and the quality, and the, the value range, uh, you know, we have basically something for everybody. So you pay to be a member, and then you get offered a watch every month, which you then buy. Right? No, so your no. your membership fee gets you the watch. Oh, the membership fee gets you the watch. Yep, exactly. Okay. So there's just one price. You're paying you're paying your, your, your membership dues. Let's say you're on our original plan, uh, that's thirty bucks a month. You get a watch every month while you're a member and you keep it. You don't pay anything extra. You don't send it back. Wow. Do they work? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're paper watches. No, they they work. They uh they um yeah we so we just we partner with companies every month that um, they they're willing to work with us because they uh, they see a huge um, opportunity to get in front of people that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and so we get big discounts and we're able to get good watches that are worth more. Um, I mean, there's a huge markup in the jewelry industry anyway. Sure. So um, that kind of you know lends itself to being able to come in and, and shake things up like this. So your margins must be pretty slim. You just need a lot of members, right? Um, yeah, so they're, they're not, um, I mean, they're not awesome. I think they're like gross margins are like over 40%. Right. 
um, which is pretty healthy. And, um, you know, it just, it really depends on the the brands that we work with and where they can come in uh, at the, at the prices that we need. So what are the age group of the members? Is this an older, is it 35 and over or are they young, trendy iPhone uh, brigade buying them as well? We have we have members from uh, recent high school graduates all the way up to, to people in uh, in retirement. Um, so it's really a matter of of getting people excited and interested about watches and about horology and and uh, generally people will join uh, our lower tier and then sort of graduate throughout the the membership levels as they learn more about watches and they come to love them. Okay, yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking about my son. My son's with Google. Um, and, uh, he always uses his phone for the time, but he's got an absolutely beautiful watch, um, which I guess is jewelry more than, um, than functional. Is that a trend? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I don't think anybody needs a watch. Um, you know, traditionally, obviously they were used for mostly for just timekeeping. Um, and as, uh, as watches became more popular, you know, they were used both for timekeeping, for function and, and for fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of the few fashion items that men get to accessorize with. So um, I think that, um, I mean, we're, we're mostly uh, men as members. I think we have 99%. Um, and that's all that we've catered to so far. But um, we have a big market for women's watches as well. And that's, that's coming soon. But um, <clears throat> no, I think uh, having it as a fashion item alone is, is fine. But um, typically what I find is that people that kind of uh, join our membership for the fashion side of things, they start getting really interested in, in what else uh, is, is there kind of, you know, what other, what other uses can they really uh, find for their watch? Did you fund it yourself or did you go out after funding or how did you? Uh, So I started it myself. uh, And then after the first month we had a a couple hundred members and I had a really good friend who I've worked with for a long time who uh, he seat funded, um, uh, the second month, which got me to grow to where we are today uh, at 18,000 members. Right, because I was thinking if you went to, if you came to me um, as an investor and said to me, look, I'm going to start this watch club and I'm going to sell people a, w- a <laughs> watch every month, I would tell you you were stark raving mad. <laughs> I mean, I've heard, I, I've heard that in the beginning. I still hear it today. I mean, we're, like I said, we're a year old. And we've done 11 million in sales, and I still hear it from people. And what I think the the main thing is, people always ask, well, how many watches does someone need? And I think I, I, there's really no answer to that yet. I, I want I want people to have as many watches as, as they can get, obviously. But um, really, what this comes down to is, uh, you know, five years from now, I don't think that a subscription watch will be at our core business. Um, I think it's a really great way to get people interested, and it'll obviously be part of the business, but the real, um, the real uh, important thing that we're doing is sort of all things watches. And that, that industry is a lot more um, uh, vast than a monthly subscription. Yeah. What, um, what are the major obstacles that you uh, faced when you were trying to build the business months one through six or whatever until it got some grip? Probably convincing people to get a watch every month. That was pretty hard. No, I'm just kidding. That, was, that wasn't actually that hard. Uh, it was... Mostly um, growing a business like this, uh, it's my, the first time that I've really like, had employees and, uh, and, and had to manage a team. So I think for me personally, um, the obstacles were 
uh, sort of figuring out how to let go of every department because I was doing it all myself, sure. you know, from packing boxes to customer service and marketing. So it was trusting people to do those jobs as, you know, as I would. Well, that's the key, isn't it? Most um, entrepreneurs fail because not because they don't have a good product or project, but uh, they fail because they're trying to be a jack of all trades and do um, every role of a business manager without really having the skills to do any. Um, so what, exactly. So, what's your background? What what gave you the skills to be a good CEO, which you obviously are? Well, I. Um so my, I have a background in computer engineering, and right. so that helped me just kind of overall, I think, uh, you know, get any, any kind of business that you, you, you're going to run basically is going to need somebody in technology. So I think my understanding of technology has really helped me uh, in some areas that might pose problematic for other uh, single founders. Right. Um, and then also I have a background in advertising. And so, you know, those two things together sort of, you know, you could start up about anything and at least do a quick test and see, hey, is there is there a market demand for this? What sort of marketing have you used? How have you sold you really need to have 115 watches? How do you get that message across? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Facebook, obviously, uh, you can get sure. very granular in who you're targeting. Sure. Um, and that's the way that we really started out Facebook and Instagram. And then as, we, as we've grown, you know, we've put a little bit more money into branding and, and sort of brand loyalty stuff. And, yep. you know, we're, uh, we, we advertise everywhere that we can. And I, I test as much as possible because in my, in my background, I've seen businesses, you know, not willing to throw a little money at new, new uh, areas that they're yep. not comfortable with or they're not very knowledgeable about. Yep. And I think that obviously that, that's a safe way to do it. But when, when you really take some risks, you can find some, some avenues that are amazing, untapped markets that, uh, you know, you wouldn't have otherwise. So um, that's kind of where, where I'm at. We, we started advertising on Snapchat, which, you know, I didn't think would work, but I figured I would test it, and that's yep. working really well. And then there's lots of other ways, too. Yeah. So how do you select you – know, you only offer one watch in each of the membership categories each month, right? So, no, we actually send a huge range of watches in every membership. Each month, okay. Yep, every month. So I think in, in a single month before, we've sent over 100 different types of watches. So if I was a member, um, I would get to select from a whole range of watches every month. Inside, it's always going to be a mystery price. to you as yeah. a member. So it'll always be a mystery until you open your box. But my, I'll tell you where my thought came from with this is that um, you know, most subscription companies, they give everybody the same thing every month. Right. And while that, you know, works for a lot of companies for watches, I, I never thought that would be a good idea because I have the same chances of sending you a watch that you'll like, or that you'll hate. If I send you the same thing as everyone else, or if I send you something different right. and the thought behind sending something different and diversifying that collection is that we, we have a trading platform. So if I send you something that isn't really your fancy, well, you can go on our platform and trade that watch for something that really, really, uh, you know, hits your style and, and then everybody's happy. And that's, that's been huge for us, the community. It's really interesting. What's, what's the fav what's your favorite part of running the business? What do you get the most kick out of when you get up every morning? Um, <laughs> it used to be, uh, I, in being in the customer service, side of things. So working with members uh, daily, 
was both rewarding and challenging because, you know, I'm hearing good things. And then obviously every business has, uh, has things that they can approve on. Sure. And I was hearing those directly, which I think really helped me mold the business to where it is. Um, but eventually there was a point where I had to focus more on the growth and less on the member services stuff. So right now, um, I'm really, really excited about, um, any, any sort of charitable, uh, stuff that we do. Um, you know, we're not, we're not changing the world, sending watches to people every month, but if I can kind of use the business to, uh, you know, to do some good, then that's, that's all I'm, you know, that's all I'm really wanting to do. So do you do, do, do you use, um, the charitable stuff for want of a better word, um, as a, as a marketing tool or you do it because you genuinely don't want to see a homeless person on the corner without knowing what time it is. <laughs> I don't, I don't go hand and watches out to the guys on the street, but, uh, no, I, I genuinely, uh, I'm a softy. I care about people. I want to help people and I don't do it for marketing at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, uh, condemn businesses that do that because, you know, bottom line, if they're helping people, if they're benefiting from sure. that, that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I agree. But, um, I've, I've actually been, uncomfortable making anything about PR or anything. So I all, everything that I've done so far has been internal, uh, for our employees and for our customers. We've not like, you know, promoted it in any way. So we raised our, our members raised like $50,000 to help, um, hurricane Harvey victims in Texas. And oh, right. I, I went, I went to Texas as part of a, like a cleanup crew. And I was, helping people directly and using those funds to just help in any ways that I could, because I'm a big fan of seeing exactly where my money is going to help people. Sure. Um, I, you know, we could, do we could donate that to a big organization, but I really wanted to impact like people directly and see, and see that impact. And that's, that's where I want to keep growing uh, the company too. That's fantastic. And that's, that's where you win. I mean, too few people do that too few few people that are successful do that and it's a it, i think it's the most important attribute of any entrepreneur is giving back as i said before i think it's fantastic so your customer feedback how do you get you know i'm, I'm interested in for example um i do a daily newsletter that goes out to 1.7 million people every day and uh i did an article on lyft and the guys that run lyft the two guys that founded lyft um they still drive a couple of days every week. They get out wow. there and they actually drive the cars. And I thought, that's really cool because, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Kalanick fan, I've got to say straight off. But you, he, Kalanick always gave the impression that he really didn't give a shit where these guys are out there a <laughs> couple of days a week driving and getting firsthand the feedback. And that's got to be a huge help when you're running a business. So how do you get your Absolutely. feedback? I, I mean, I, I respect that so much. And that is, um, I hadn't heard of that. And I think it's so awesome. It's, and it is awesome. My, so I've, I've sort of done the same thing, I think, with Watch Gang in the beginning, even up until a few months ago, I was, you know, handling individual customer service uh, issues. So right. I was in our ticketing system in Zendesk and, you know, I'm answering tickets and I'm responding directly to people. I, I've answered the phones up until a couple months ago. And I think that, you know, for my mental sanity, um, I had to, <laughs> I can't do that obviously every day, but um, 
uh, I learned so much about what people really want. And I'm, I'm still a part of the community where I talk to our members every day. Um, when, when I go, I, when I do our giveaways live, you know, people look forward to that and they talk to me and I, I respond back and I, I have probably three or 400 personal conversations going like at any time with different members and that really helps me. Yeah. It's like, it it really keeps you on the pulse of your business. And, you know, I, I do trust my employees and I trust the people that I've put in charge of departments, but you know, I care so much about this. I want to be firsthand hearing about any issues and, and seeing how we can improve. No, I think that's phenomenal. That's brilliant. So how do you, how do you choose the watches every month? Surely, there's only so many different watches out there being being manufactured of different brands of watches. How do you how do you keep such a big supply of watches going through the system? So, I mean, surprisingly enough, there are there are thousands of, of watch brands like just in Switzerland, right? And then oh, really? thousands more in in lots of other countries. Oh yeah, there are there are so many uh, brands to work with. Um, we'll never work with all the all the brands, but um, we have a team that curates watches. They work with uh, suppliers and brands to to get cool stuff. We get samples in daily. Um, we decide what we want to work with, um, you know, every month, and we make sure that the quality is great and that the um, the value is really good. Um, and we work with micro brands all the way up to. I mean, we've worked with Citizen and Seiko now. Right. I must I must admit I still. I still remember when I was first told about this, I thought, you've got to be kidding. Who the hell is going to buy all these watches? So what's the, what's the major reason watch gangs been so – I mean, if you started a cufflinks club, you know, I could see myself – not that I ever wear shirts, but I could find myself if I wore shirts, you know, getting a dozen cufflinks over 12 months and then saying, well, shit, I've got a cupboard full of cufflinks and I don't need any more of these. Um, so – why do you think Watch Gang has taken off like it has? I mean, your sales are phenomenal considering um, what it is. I think. Yeah. So I think I think uh, and I think the cufflinks is a is a good analogy and where it differs and where where watches are kind of special in that is that they are more of a collectible item that people trade all the time. And so I might send you twelve watches in a month or in a year, and you might think that you have enough watches, but people refresh their collections all the time. So six of those watches, you might end up trading and wanting new stuff. And so you're always getting something new and you're, you're using like, let's say three or four of them to upgrade into a bigger uh, or a nicer, more expensive watch, or you just looking to, you know, get a facelift on your whole uh, watch box and you trade them all for a few other items. So that's the real beauty about watches is that, once people become part of the community, they're just, they love it. They love trading them. They, they buy and sell them every day in our, in our uh, watch exchange group. And I think that's the real magic behind uh, Watch Gang. <laughs> I guess I'm old-fashioned. I, I've got three really beautiful watches um, that I wear all the time. I rotate them, but I wear the same. And I've been wearing these watches for probably 20 years. Um and sort of buying another watch has never sort of struck me as as something I want to really collect. Um, and you know what? There are there are a lot of people in that category, and I think that uh, what what we've done that's a little special is as we've grown and we've added new uh, membership options, we've sort of been able to aside from the monthly watch club, um, we do flash sales every week, 
uh, where we work with partners. And I mean, my goal is really to just get the people that are members the best deals possible on anything they're looking for or watch related. And so even people that maybe aren't about getting a watch every month would be interested in looking through our offers that we have weekly and seeing what they'd want to buy. Do you you have antique watches as well as sort of today's modern look watches? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, aside from the aesthetic being sort of uh, antique or vintage, we also randomly send out vintage watches to people. Um, so we try to make this really fun club. And so we'll randomly, you know, put vintage watches in the mail for people, um, random stuff uh, that we do giveaways all the time. Okay, your favorite part of running the business is, is dealing with people. What's, it, what's the part of the business that you, um, you don't like? And is, is... Dealing with people. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just um, yeah, I think the, I think one of the hardest parts of the business is, I mean, I've, I, uh, I feel like I have a huge family now and not just with the people that I work with daily, but people that I interact with, I genuinely care about. And the, I think it's probably a normal fear from any entrepreneur that, you know, everything could just crash and burn one day. And I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, the fact that, that I worry about where people will get their watches is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but I, you know, I truly care. And I think the, that's the hardest kind of overall thing for me. Um, just coming from a place of fear a little bit, but on a day to day, um, I don't have any complaints. I love what I'm doing. Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I I'm truly living like a, a dream right now. That's fantastic. What did you 10 years ago? What did you want to do? Where did you want to be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I wanted to be an actor ten years ago. Oh, okay. Your acting, yeah. <laughs> your acting sucked. You found you're better at watches. Yeah, I'm way better at selling watches. <laughs> so, what's the what's the hardest part about running a business? What is it? What's the problem that most entrepreneurs run into when they're running a business, particularly in the early I stages? I believe. I believe it's being short sighted. I think that. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I think that we've excelled in, a, in an area that there are other businesses doing watch, or watches every month. But the reason that we have succeeded um, is because the other, the other watch clubs, what they've done is they look at it as uh, a short-term business, or at least they have to profit short-term. Right. They have to make their money every single month. And they do that by sacrificing quality and, and brand. So they will just go to Alibaba and buy um, really cheap watches there that are maybe 5 or $10, and they're charging $30 a month. So they make their you know quick profit, but they're never going to scale that way. And the, I, I think that by, by looking long-term and really creating a value for customers, I think that was what really uh, uh, pushed me forward. What, um, so where does the watch gang go now? I'm, obviously, you stick with watches for a little while and establish the business a bit more then then what is it cufflinks is it what is it no no i think it's always watches but it's not always subscription watches as as the core business so we my my goal would be to uh own uh parts of a bunch of watch brands to distribute uh for watch brands to have an amazing marketplace uh for watches I mean, Kickstarter uh, is a, you know, obviously it's a crowdfunding platform for everything. 
yep. watches are huge there and there's no reason why and we're already sort of doing this but kickstarting watch companies I mean, there are so many people that start a watch brand uh, every year and they fail at it because you know they sort of fail to get guidance they fail to reach their market and we're sort of an incubator for small companies as well we we've worked with companies you know on their watches where they've blown up after after doing a partnership with us because nobody had ever heard of them before right. and and they they reached thousands of customers who then continue to buy their products month after month so um there there i think anything watch related is not out of our our reach so you see yourself as the the global guru of watches yeah absolutely <laughs> so what about <laughs> what about you personally how much how much um time does this occupy you you're married with your family um how um how much time do you put into into watch gang um well up until a couple months ago i was probably putting about 15 or 16 hours a day into the watch gang right but you know that's it's funny i heard a I, I don't know where this came from, but somebody said entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. <laughs> and true. it's so true because, <laughs> you know, true. we don't want to work for somebody else. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's my baby. I put everything into it and I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to see it fail because I wasn't willing to put the time in. And so I put as much time as necessary. And now that I've been able to grow out my team and, and hire people and I, I've been able to relax and I only work maybe 10 hours a day now. Okay. Um, so what do you enjoy doing when you, when you're not working? What are, what are your hobbies or love to do? No, I hang out with my family a lot. I, I like to box. Um, I like to make stuff with my hands. I like, like, uh, wallets or I'm trying to make a pair of boots right now. They look terrible, but it'll be my first pair. <laughs> <laughs> where did the, where did this come from? What 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 was your family background? What I've never heard of anybody who's going to sit down and make their own boots before. So, did you did you come from rural America or something? <laughs> uh, I grew up in yeah in rural America for sure. I I didn't make anything when I was a kid. I was learning how to like code and stuff. Um, but I think that comes from as an adult now, I, I spend so much time in front of the computer that I, I really enjoy the time that I have where I'm not looking at a, a screen. And so when I'm like, I'll throw some music on and just start like dyeing leather and cutting it and making projects and stuff. And it's, you know, it's crafty. It's cool. You get to make something with your hands and it, it's nothing to do with technology really. So I really enjoy that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> We're out of time, Matthew. I've enjoyed this a lot. So, Matthew Gallagher, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. That you'd like to know more about thank Watch you, Gang, sir. and I don't know why you wouldn't want to know more about Watch Gang. I, I, when I first heard about it, I thought this guy's a nut. Now I decided that <laughs> this is a really cool idea. Definitely. So, <laughs> jump onto WatchGang.com and uh, enroll, or at least have a good look. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking No Bullshit Business Radio Show. Coming to you on Voice America Business Network and we're broadcasting from freezing cold Melbourne, Australia. I'm, at a, I'm actually at a farm out in the middle of nowhere and um, there's 44 acres. It's, it's really pretty if it wasn't so bloody cold. And uh, but big open fires make a big difference. That big barbecue last night, and it was it was pretty good. Kangaroos out in the paddock, and uh, they tell me that if you go for a walk through the bush, you can see koalas. But it is too cold to set foot outside the door. Unfortunately, yesterday we got lost a guy named Harry M. Miller, who was a very an extraordinary manager. And he was a guy that was responsible for the biggest uplift in my career about 30 years ago, I suppose, when he um, negotiated a position for me with a football team in Sydney, the premier football team in Sydney. And uh, it was an amazing contract. And that led me to an offer to go to the United States and be with the Los Angeles Raiders, and uh, it never would have happened without Harry. And so we set up a company called Pritchard Miller. His name was Harry Miller. We set up a company called Pritchard Miller, and we this is around about the same time as he got me the contract with Sydney Football Club. And uh, we had a sponsorship agency, so we went out and we sought sponsorships for companies and uh, for individuals. And it was a, a, a great period, and he was a fantastic manager, very smart, and I learned a hell of a lot from him. You know, when you work with somebody who's um, a legend and done just about everything, you, you really learn a lot. And so, Harry, we'll miss you, mate, and uh, I really thank you for everything you did for me. I want to tell you about I, I had a guy on a few months ago named Robert Drayson, who's the world's biggest art forger. And he's one of the five great art forgers in history. And I, I interviewed him on the show because I thought he was a, an interesting character. He, he went to jail for forging art, you know, simple things like Rembrandts and Picassos and Dalis and, and all of that stuff. And he's pretty good at it. And in all of the big galleries around the world, such as the Louvre in Paris, there's five or six masters that weren't done by the masters at all, but were done by Robert Dryson. He, um, he's quite extraordinary. He also does Giacometti sculptures and, uh, He's good at that too, but that, that's what actually sent him to jail in the end because when Giacometti died, his uh, wife did an inventory of all of the art that her husband did, all the sculptures her husband did, and she came up with about 453 of them. So then she, um, she went out and started trying to find out where they were. So she went to the Louvre and found where they were, and these things sell for up to $100 million each. I mean, you know, it's expensive stuff. And uh, she started counting where all these um, geocommittees that her husband did. And she got to 453, and then she got to 553, and 653, and she ended up at about 1,500. 
So there's a thousand GEO committees that weren't done by GEO committee at all that have all been sold for outrageous amounts of money. And so she went to the um, European authorities, whatever the equivalent is of the FBI, and uh, he got arrested and sent to jail. Anyway, I interviewed him, and it was a great interview. And uh, he tells some great stories. He's just finished a two-hour television special in Europe, which will be shown all over the world shortly. He's released a book about being an art forger and producing some of the most famous paintings. So when you walk around the Louvre or the um, art galleries in New York or wherever and you see a Picasso or a Rembrandt or a Dali or Monet, they're probably done by Robert. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, the story here is that I've signed Robert to an exclusive worldwide contract to sell his art. So I am now in the business of selling, not forged because that's wrong, but identically copied masters. And uh, the company is called Genuine Forgeries. And we're going to start promoting this quite heavily shortly. So if you're looking for a Picasso or Dali or we actually had a um, okay. we had a um, I'm trying to think of the name of the artist on our wall at home we've got a fabulous Matisse that's about six foot by four foot or something so we, on our wall we've got this marvelous Matisse I tell you it really lifts it really lifts your house it's just the feature when you walk into our house and uh, it's absolutely identical to the original so if you're out there thinking god my wall would look good with a rembrandt right there that'd be nice or you've got a really quirky room and you think "Mm, a couple of picassos would be good um then i'm your man i'll get you the absolute replica and you can't tell the difference and just for a modest fee um, so if you're looking for good artwork, look out for genuine forgeries coming your way shortly. And uh, it's an interesting project. I think I hope that it does well. Um, all right, so we're, we're on our way now to 500 shows, which is a hell of a lot of shows. And uh, I'm just about out of time, I think. I got three minutes, I'm just told. So, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, so I hope you're enjoying the show and make sure that you get my newsletter. So go to bobpritchard.com, subscribe to the newsletter. And uh, if, you, if you don't want to get it after you've got a few people, companies get it. For example, there's a company in England, Shooter, which is one of, they're in 86 countries. They're one of the biggest healthcare companies in the world. And uh, every time they get something related to healthcare or something to do with their business in any way, it might be about tariffs. It might be about Chinese economy. It could be about all sorts of things. They actually distribute it right through their staff. Um, so instead of the one person getting to read it, tens of thousands get to read it. So I think you'll find that it, it 
does a lot of good for your business and, and certainly broadens the mind of your employees. I don't know whether you were into cryptocurrency. If you're not, you should be. There is a Crypto Invest Summit in Los Angeles in October at the um, um, convention center. It is an incredible event. They get uh, last the last one was totally sold out, and they'll get six or eight thousand people, mm-hmm. one hundred and eighty of the top crypto people in the world speaking over a period of two and a half days, and it is a, and they talk about ICOs, they talk about all the different types of cryptos, they type, talk about the exchanges, how you can get involved, what you can do, the future of crypto. So if you're sitting there watching crypto, if you're sitting there watching crypto thinking, oh, this is all going down the toilet, just hang on. It's only just started. Think back to the um, commencement of the internet. You know, didn't do much for a little while, but who could live with it? Live without it now? Crypto is the same. You need crypto. You need to get it into your portfolio. I'm not saying you sell up the farm and do it, but you need to get it into the portfolio. So that's my advice for the day. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are just taking up too much space. Get out of the road and let somebody who wants to succeed go racing past you. Don't clog the path to success. It's easier. It's much more rewarding to do the impossible than to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. If you walk down the street, they're like ants. They're everywhere, and they're all ordinary. But you don't want to be ordinary. You want to be special. So bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. If you're always trying to be normal, you're missing out on a hell of a lot. Normal people, boring. You'll never know how amazing you can be. So join me again next Tuesday. Well, I'll be in beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. And entrepreneurs just keep pumping out good, great products. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.